Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha, good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. Remember that you may listen to us on Sundays on KWXX and B93, B97, or hear a rebroadcast of our programs at KPUA 670 AM in Hilo the following Friday. And we're always available as a podcast online wherever you get podcasts or at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. Most of us are not lawyers, but all of us need to have certain legal documents as we proceed through life. And most of us don't know which documents we need, nor why, nor where to get them. Today we're going to talk about medical information releases, wills, trusts, documents to let people know who should care for your children if something happens to you, advanced health care directives, and more. And I have two guests who will help us understand. Darrell Gleed has practiced law in Hawaii for many years. He got his bachelor's from the University of Washington and his law degree from Seattle University School of Law. His office is in West Hawaii, and he's one of several Big Island-based attorneys who work on estates as well as other legal issues. And full disclosure, Darrell Gleed is my attorney and has set up a trust for my husband and me. Aloha. Good morning, Darrell. Aloha, Sherry. Thank you. We're also joined by Dr. Norm Goody, who currently is an emergency room doctor working out of Kohala Hospital. He got his medical degree at Baylor College of Medicine. Dr. Goody is an anesthesiologist and also focuses on addiction medicine, hospice and palliative medicine, and pain medicine. He's been the medical director with Hospice of Kona. And in his spare time, Dr. Norm Goody works with his wife, Anne, in caring for exotic animals at their three-ring ranch in Kona. Good morning. Aloha, Dr. Goody. Aloha. Good morning, Sherry. Now, as a note, I want you to know I'm going to ask Darrell, the attorney, about online forms and such, but I also urge you to remember that sometimes your individual circumstances may be different from the usual. And as I talk with Dr. Goody about the implications of some of the forms you might want relative to medical care, remember that your own physician is the best source always of information about your particular situation. Now, Darrell, first thing I want to talk about is something that you brought to my attention a few weeks ago, and that is this, that now with the laws, once somebody turns 18, they are considered an adult. And you mentioned that you've had several situations where children, or we would call them children, but people 18 and over have had either accidents or medical situations, they're hospitalized, but because they're adults, if they have not signed some kind of a medical release, the doctors and hospitals may not release information even to their parents. Tell us about this. Uh, yes, this is actually very important here in Hawaii where we send young people off to college, for instance, and they're 17 when they leave maybe, and they turn 18 on the mainland, and something happens. Let's say they go in for a, an allergy or something, and, and something's happened, and you know the physician or the, the medical facility can't really provide information because this is an adult, an 18-year-old, and the HIPAA laws preclude them from transmitting information over the telephone or emails with parents or anything that uh, that certainly the parents would want to know about in the case of, of an emergency. So, I've definitely been counseling my clients that have children that are getting ready to go to college or just off to the mainland or traveling the world, whatever they're going to do, 
you know, I, I encourage them to have their children also get the health care directives and HIPAA releases for their parents. Norm Goody, you're a doctor. What mm-hmm. is a HIPAA release? What are the HIPAA laws? So HIPAA was the Health Care Portability Act, and it was enacted to try and make it easier for health care agencies and groups to share information. But what it also does is protect the privacy of individuals. And unfortunately, it is sometimes means that people can't communicate with other individuals who aren't released to share the information with. So if the hospital doesn't have a specific release to share the information, they can't do it, even though it would make perfect sense to do so. Darrell Gleed, are there online forms that would provide for medical releases? Does somebody need to see an attorney to get this to happen? Give us more detail about how this problem gets solved. And as you spoke of it, though, I was reminded that over this past weekend, I was at a social event and telling somebody about this situation. And they noted that, you know, their son is 35, lives on his own, isn't married. So it seems like this is a release that almost anybody would want to get so that somebody can get your medical information and also make decisions for you. But what's the solution? First, I'll mention that young people that are going off to to college, most of the universities and colleges now have a program when they sign in and they check in that they're signing off on a HIPAA release for their parents. And so most of the colleges have caught up with this problem. But the other solution, if you don't have that, is you can get the form. The form is nothing magic, you know, the HIPAA release. You can find a form online. And assuming that it follows the basic principles of providing information by telephone, electronic communications, that's going to take care of it. You just need to find the right form. Darrell, if somebody wanted to get one of those medical release forms, where would one find one online? You could go, like, to the HMSA website. They might have documents that uh, are widely used here in Hawaii. Kaiser, I'm not sure if they have anything online, but uh, at the Kaiser clinics, they freely hand out the health care directives, and they all comply with the state law. If you wanted to go a little bit further, you could go to an organization called Five Wishes, who lets you fill out a very detailed advanced health care directive with a lot of detail, and uh, they try to make it comply with Hawaii law as well. And other information about even wills and trusts that's not too bad would be our online competitors like LegalZoom and Nolo Press. At least we know that, that they have lawyers reviewing these things, uh, and uh, there's some good information you can find on those websites. There's also an organization called Kokua Mau, which is a Hawaii organization. It's K-O-K-U-A-M-A-U dot org, and they have all these documents available on their website. Or you can go to your friendly local Big Island attorney, right? Exactly. I would like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make mention that if you have a health care directive, for instance, our state law, within the law, it provides some HIPAA language that will allow the person named in your health care directive to get information. I like to do a separate HIPAA release just because I don't want to run into some facility in some state that doesn't understand that. So I would add that if someone comes into the emergency room, let's say you've cut your hand or you think you have appendicitis, when you're doing the intake evaluation and collecting all your information, they will typically ask you, who do you give us permission to share this information with? And you'll typically give them your spouse or your emergency contact or your child or whomever it is. The problem comes if someone is brought in either unconscious or after a car accident or in a situation where they can't give that information. So that's why it's important to have these sorts of documents ahead of time. Of course, if you don't have it with you, then it's not going to be available anyway. So there's a little bit of a problem. Just because you have the document doesn't mean everyone's going to know about it. So a wallet card or something like that is often a good thing to do in addition to actually doing the document that says, I have an advanced directive on file. You know, here's who you need to call. Great idea.
You know, my brother mentioned when his then 20-year-old daughter was at college in California that she was having some kind of problem with the roommate. And the parents, my brother and his wife, had a real difficult time finding out from the university what was going on, even though the daughter wanted help from the parents. So it seems like universities and everybody's really concerned about privacy. Are there forms that would allow more for a general release, not just for healthcare release, Daryl? Not that I'm aware of. I know that the universities are very protective of the information. You know, I mentioned earlier that HIPAA was intended to make it easier to share information. But what's happened is everyone jumps on the privacy part of it because there have been lawsuits over breaches in privacy. So everyone gets very scared and very defensive about sharing information because they're worried about getting in trouble for it. I mean, the most obvious example of that is, you know, Michael Jackson comes into the emergency room. The nurse... (laughs) goes on Facebook and, oh, Michael Jackson came into the emergency room. That's a HIPAA violation right there. And so they're all paranoid at the medical centers about being sued over things like this. Well, this sounds like a really important thing and actually a pretty easy thing for parents to take care of. Does the person who can get your information have to be a blood relative? Could it be a friend? Quite often in my HIPAA releases, I list two or three individuals that this person is willing to have obtain information, family or friends. Okay, so friends would qualify. Sure. Particularly important when you're looking at, well, a state like Hawaii where people may have moved here and closest family members are on the mainland or whatever, so good. Now, we're going to talk more about some medical releases in a minute, but first I want to go over some basic legal documents. Daryl Gleed, talk to us about wills and trusts. And let's start with wills. What is a will and who needs one? Okay, well, let's start with who needs one. Okay. How's that? Good. Because, uh, you know, I'm an attorney, and I think anyone over 18 will benefit from a will. The example I give is one of my very first cases moving here to Hawaii was a a young mother, 27 years old. She really had $500 in the bank, a vehicle, and two young children. Not a good candidate to do a trust, but for some reason, and it wasn't a trust I'd done, but for some reason she had gone to an attorney and set up a trust for her children. She was killed in an auto accident. And the recovery, I think, was a million-dollar recovery that she received from the auto accident. And this trust was all set up for her children. It was beautiful. It just worked well. Everything was set up the way she wanted it for her children, even though she wasn't really someone you would think of as a great candidate for setting up a trust. In that case, you know, I guess to answer the question about the will, you know, the only difference with a will and a trust, a revocable-type trust, is, you know, the will is designed to speak in probate. And probate is the court proceeding for determining if you have a valid will or not and then executing it. So the idea of who should have a will, well, everybody that has assets should think about having a will, and many of those who don't have assets but may have assets should think about doing one. Well, you mentioned the children thing. What if I am young, I'm 25, and I do have two young children? If something happens to me and I do not have a will, what happens to the children? Is there something that parents with young children should have in place to protect their children should something happen to them? Yeah, the law, the statutes here in Hawaii and every other state set out a priority of who can be guardian for your child if you have died. The primary priority is given to who you nominate in a written document, in a will particularly. And so if you didn't have a will and you haven't nominated somebody, then you're falling back to the default provisions of the statute, which may provide you know, a grandparent or may it say, you know, it'll go down a list of those that have priority. Which may not be the people you actually would want to raise your children. Exactly. It could be someone that you don't really want your children <laughs> to be living with. So, 
Okay, now let's get back to a will. What exactly is a will? You said it's tied up with probate, but I think a will is a document that says, this is who I am, this is what I have, this is where it goes. Am I right? It's really that simple. It's just a, a description of who do you want to be in charge of your estate and where do you want it to go when you die. Okay. And in Hawaii, it requires, for a formal will, two witnesses and signed by you. And in Hawaii, you can also do a handwritten will, but it has to be in your own handwriting substantially and signed and dated by you to be effective. There are online forms for wills. Do they work? You know, I I think yes in some cases. I remember a seminar or a panel that I sat on with one of our local attorneys who's now retired, Wally Gallup. I don't know if you know Wally. In that seminar, somebody asked him, why should I hire you to do a limited liability company for me when I can get online and do it myself online? And he said, well, there's only one mistake, one box if you check it online that creates a real problem for you. And then the guys ask, well, what is it? And he just smiled. <laughs> you know? And so me as an attorney, when people ask me, can't I do it by myself? I think, yes, you can, but do you want to make sure it's, it's done correctly? Cause, or do you want to make one of those little errors that sometimes people do that create more work for the attorneys and, and more headache for the family later on? And probably ultimately more cost is what you're saying. Definitely. Since I know how attorneys make their money, they charge yes. people for time. Mm-hmm. You talked about probate. Now, I was raised in the state of California, and although I've lived here in Hawaii for 25 years, my mom and dad died in California, and I found out, thank goodness, by the way, they had a revocable living trust, and I want you to talk to us about that, but I found out in California, at least, that the fees for probate, had we had to go through it, are set by the state, and it's based on the amount of the estate, and a certain amount of money goes to the attorney, a certain amount of money goes to the executor, It sounded like a lot of money and something to be feared. And I've always heard that one generally wants to avoid probate at all costs. Is that true here in Hawaii? So Hawaii had a law similar to California's uh, that it did away with in 1999. And I I tell my clients right up front that probate isn't as bad as it used to be here in Hawaii years ago. And it's certainly not as fearful, fear-inducing as the probate in California and certain other states where they have these laws. We have a, a law that allows for a very streamlined probate process, informal probate. If there's no real disputes going on in the family, there, the probate really occurs as a paper push with the court as opposed to hearings. You don't even have hearings. So, you know, a typical probate in Hawaii might, eat, might be around $5,000 or less even to get a probate through the court system. Whereas, you know, in another state, it might be much more because the asset value is what's determining the fees. What is a revocable living trust? And how does that relate to a will? So let's just define the terms. Revocable just means it's something you, it's a trust that you create that you can later change or get rid of. Living, people use that word living trust just to make the designation as something that you set up that's effective while you're living instead of waiting like a will springs into effect at your death. No, this trust is effective now. So it's, it's almost like an entity that you create on paper, and it's given legal authority by our statutes, and you can put assets in it like a corporation or an, L- an LLC. So you create this entity, you put your assets in it, and why would you do that? Because probate or the court process of administration of your estate only applies to assets that are in your sole name when you die. So anytime you have assets that are going to end up in your sole name, you know you're going to have a probate if they exceed 100000 in Hawaii or any real estate. And that would be, yeah, if you have a house, it's got yeah. to be worth more than 100000 right. 
So what you do is you create this entity, you put it in the name of the trust, and then at your death, it's not in your soul name. It's in the trust name. So therefore, the court doesn't have jurisdiction. It does not go through the court system. And whatever you've written as instructions in the trust and whoever you've put in charge handle the administration of your trust outside of the court system. And a brief interruption to remind you, this is Island Conversations, and I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Remember that even if you don't listen to Island Conversations on the radio, you may always listen later to the podcast at kwxx.com or at b97hawaii.com, or you may go to wherever you download podcasts and find Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken right there. Both today and next week, we are talking with attorney Darrell Gleed and with Dr. Norm Goody about the very many documents that we need to understand as adult people, which is wills and trusts and powers of attorney for health care and medical releases. And even there's a power of attorney for mental health care. There's all kinds of things that are helpful to understand, whether we are young adults or middle-aged adults or even older adults. Next week, when we talk about some of the end-of-life issues, Dr. Goody is going to help us understand some of the physical things that happen towards the end of life so that as we execute our powers of attorney for health care and make some of those decisions that we need to make, we understand those decisions just a little better. Before we get back to Attorney Darrell Gleed and Dr. Norm Goody, a word from KTA Superstores, which for more than 100 years has been supporting nonprofit entities and activities here on the Big Island of Hawaii. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. Let's get back to our discussion of legal documents and healthcare documents with attorney Darrell Gleed and Dr. Norm Goody. You spoke early on about your 27-year-old young woman who unexpectedly died but did have a trust. I think most people think a trust is for older people. It sounds like age is not really the factor as to when one might want to use a trust. No, there's a lot of factors, really. And I'm not saying a trust is the... Is the um panacea or the, you know, save all for everything. Uh, because quite often people will come in and they have a very simple estate, maybe a home, maybe one or two children, and they have good children, so they're not worried about trying to tie things up for, you know, because of addictions or bad marriages or those types of things. So uh, the answer would be, oh, well, you really don't need a trust. You know, you need maybe just do a simple will, name your children beneficiaries of your retirement plan, and do a transfer on death deed for the home so that at your death, the house goes to them automatically without probate that way. Okay. That would also be something one would typically set up with an attorney, or is that something that when you take title on your home, you can do that? No, when you take title on your home, it's it's in your name. And a transfer on death deed, that's an option that's been around since 2013. You can name beneficiaries on the deed itself. The deed is recorded, but it has no legal effect until you die. And then at the time that you die, the heirs file an affidavit stating that you've died and they become owners automatically. Okay. But that is something probably that an attorney would have to draw up. I would recommend it. I've seen poor attempts. (laughs) Well, I've seen... (laughs) It's it's a technical law. It's really kind of a complicated little law to do it right. 
Well, and I've seen in the state of Hawaii that attorneys typically handle transfers of property more so perhaps than in some states where title companies are the only ones involved and you don't actually need an attorney. But here I think you do. Well, definitely we have a more complicated land system here just because of, of the nature of ownership of, you know, the ancient ownership of the lands here in Hawaii. And also our dual recording system that we have, you know, the land court and the bureau conveyances. You know, I, I don't see out-of-state attorneys that even want to try to touch a Hawaii deed, let alone an individual that doesn't have any background with it. Got it. So you talked about the cost of probate. It could be $5,000. Give us a rough idea of what it costs to use an attorney and do either a will or a living trust. Yeah, it would be really rough. I might give you a range because you really don't know when a person comes in if they have a lot of different issues that have to be dealt with and trust created for a special needs child, for instance, or someone that has addictive behaviors or a trust that's mandated because of a court divorce. Those types of things can all add to the scenario, as well as how many properties do we need to put into the shows, how many deeds have to be done. So I would say, you know, a typical couple that came in would come in to see me and they have a home and they have some investments and a couple of children that are good kids, you know, that type of thing. To do the package type of, of estate planning in this state, you might um, be in a range of, of 2000 to 4000 depending, okay. uh, you know, Honolulu prices seem to be a little bit higher. <laughs> so Good thing we live Big Island. Yeah, I know some people are advertising 5000 and that's kind of the California prices start around 5000 it seems. It seems a little bit pricey over there. Okay. Now, if one is going in to see an attorney or if one plans to do their own will, what are the questions that they should be thinking about? Because clearly, when people walk in to see an attorney and talk about a will or a trust, they should have certain things in their mind. What are the questions they should be prepared to answer, Darrell Gleed? Well, my first answer to that is sometimes when people want to set up their estate planning, this becomes an obstacle to them to do it because it's so easy to put off. You don't want to see the dentist, the doctor, or the, the lawyer, you know. So if you give them a laundry list of things that they have to come up with, that becomes an obstacle to them setting the appointment. So I sometimes say, just come on in, we'll go through it. You know, I, I charge a flat fee, so I don't, you're not on the clock with me, you know. But basically, you, you'd want to have a list of your assets, if you can get that, along with any major liabilities that you have. Your family information, children, birth dates, and maybe an idea of who you'd want to be in charge if something happened to you and how you think you want things to be distributed at your death. Other things that you talk about, you know, have to do with powers of attorney, health care directives that we're going to talk more about, and, and uh, some related documents. Those can all be brought out in the interview. There has been talk a lot in financial circles, not recently, but in the past, about inheritance tax or federal estate tax. Talk about those things so we know what they are and if we have to worry about that. Okay, I'll just give a real quick summary. You don't have an estate tax problem unless you're over 11.4 million. Okay. Federal law. I'd say that applies to most people here. And 5.49 million Hawaii law. Those are the thresholds for estate taxes when they kick in. And that's a tax on your estate that gets paid out of your estate, not by the beneficiaries who inherit. So it's paid first right out of your estate. Federal rate, 40%. Hawaii rate is graduated, starts at 10% and goes up now. Just a recent change in the law. If you have an estate over $10 million, then it kicks in at 20%. We have the second highest estate tax in the nation right now, I believe. So federal that. estate tax is if you die with $11 million in assets and Hawaii estate tax, inheritance tax, kicks in at $5.49 million. Yeah, 11.4 federal. Now we have, for a married couple, we have what's called portability, which Google that word, 
but uh, it allows a couple to combine their 11.4 million dollar threshold exemption, so that you have you know 22.8 million as a couple before there would be estate taxes. Okay, well, that's good news. If I get close to that, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, do, and come and see me. <laughs> <laughs> now, how is an estate tax or inheritance tax different from income tax? It's a tax on the transfer. So the Constitution says you can't have a tax on estates, basically, but you can have a tax on the transfer from one generation to the other. That's how we get around it. So when the transfer is being made, it's a tax on your entire worldwide assets, the gross value of your entire worldwide assets, less certain deductions that you can take, and um, that's it. Income tax, of course, is just on the income that you're gaining each it, year. So, If a husband and wife are married and they own property jointly and one of them dies, the husband dies, does the inheritance tax kick in at that point or only when the second spouse dies? Yeah, so one of the deductions that you, you have is, is called a marital deduction, and you can leave anything to a spouse without any estate taxes. So the answer to that's pretty quick, you know, pretty easy. Yes, it won't be till the second spouse dies that you would have that inheritance tax due. So then it really applies to the children or others who are going to inherit the money. Yes. And actually, since it comes out before anybody inherits any money, it applies to the estate. Exactly. And then what's left over goes to them. Yep. Of that $11 million. Right. Okay. Keeping that in mind in case I get close. I'd like to ask you, Darrell, to tell us about the concept of basis and how that applies to money or assets that one is inheriting. Well, before we had all these high estate tax thresholds, $11.4 million federal, we did a lot of estate planning around saving estate taxes. And in this day and age, in a lot of places, state and federal income taxes are more than the estate taxes, you know. So now the shift has been toward trying to save some income taxes. And how do you do that? Well, the law still provides that um, if you die, you get a step up in basis for tax purposes to the fair market value of all your assets. So you had a home that, let's take a, an investment home that you're not living in because you have other deductions for that. You have a home that's that you bought for 200000 and it's worth 500000 now. If you sold it today, you'd have a capital gain of 300000 and you'd have to pay tax on that 300000 at the federal and state rates. If you die and let someone inherit that, that's wiped out. That capital gain is wiped out. If you sell at the, what did I say, $500,000 amount, there's no tax because the fair market value as of date of death was 500000 You're selling at 500000 zero capital gain. So that's what we're trying to achieve, more of that savings now instead of the estate tax savings. Okay. So the same thing would apply if people inherit stocks from their parents. Very same scenario. Which yeah. actually when my mom and dad passed away, I got some Chevron stock that my grandmother had purchased like in 1960. Mm -hmm. And so then it had gone from my grandmother to my dad to me. And thank goodness I didn't have to pay the 1960. I mean, that, that's not what I inherited. I inherited the day that my dad died, yeah. right? Think about if your dad had given you that stock the day before he died. Then what would happen? You would have his old basis, <gasps> and you would sell it the day after he died, and you would pay the capital gain he would have paid. Oh, my gosh. So sometimes you know, people are getting advice that they should put people on their accounts to try to avoid probate when it's not always the best move because now you've made a gift to them. You've done away with this stepped-up basis that's going to wipe out the capital gain. It does take some good planning to, to make okay. sure it works well. Well, you mentioned gift, and that was one of the questions I had noted down that when I 
look to get information about estate planning, they always seem to mention gifts and a gift tax. So tell us more about that. Well, generally, because of that $11.4 million federal threshold and the 5.49 state threshold, the idea of gifting for tax savings doesn't kick in until you hit the, you know, till you are over that. So there's not a lot of gifting that we're doing now for tax reasons. But you can still, if you want to make a gift, you can still gift 15000 a year to any child or any individual or number of individuals, 15000 each, without having to file a gift tax return. And there's no tax imposed on it, of course. There's no gift tax until you've gifted your maximum for a 5.49 million state or 11.4 million dollar federal, so you know there's really no tax to pay on the gift till you've gifted more than that. Okay, uh, but, but what you're about- supposed to file a return if you give more than 15,000 a year. Okay, but so 15,000 a year, so grandparents can give their grandchildren or children 15,000. Just I will use the term as a free gift. The grandchildren or children don't have to declare it as income. It's never declared as income as a gift to them. But the the parent or grandchild a grandparent does not have to report it to the IRS as a gift. It's under the threshold, so okay, it's just easy. No, that's good to know, and it's also good, yeah, it's good to know if people want to give their children or grandchildren money gifts. And with that, we're going to say aloha to Island Conversations for today and conclude part one of our conversation with attorney Darrell Gleed and Dr. Norm Goody. Next week, we will pick this up again with a lot more about some of the medically related documents that we need. And Dr. Goody will explain what some of the words actually mean. I appreciate your being with us. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. I'll see you next week. Until then, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.